When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. Of course, now on Pantheon Podcasts, where you can go and find all just all different sorts of podcasts uh, to enjoy and uh, to uh, find your niche of whatever it is you listen to. Uh, just go on to Pantheon Podcasts, and and you can uh, have a heyday going through all sorts of different uh, podcasts. If you like music, Brian. I do. Uh, well, I yeah. I I think yeah. I like music. I think if I you like music, you're going to find a podcast on Pantheon Pods that you're going to like. A lot of heavy metal stuff too. A lot of heavy metal. A lot of Kiss. Yep. And us. We are the only Blues of Southern Rock podcast. On we are Pantheon. the only one. The only one. So that's a good thing. So, uh, word on the street is we saw some shows this week. Do you want to go first? Should I go first? You go first. Okay. I, uh, on Tuesday uh, evening, Tuesday afternoon, uh, went with my father-in-law to go see Whiskey Myers about 80 miles north near a town called Grand Forks. Um, so, it was first on stage was Matt Koziel. It's K-O-Z-I. Ol, I don't know if it's Kozial or Kozial. He was he was uh, joking about how uh, people get his name wrong, um, but he is pretty good, you know. Uh, just you know, once again, it's like another this kind of combo hybrid of of you know country rock, little southern rock, rock and roll thing. Um, that was really cool. Um, and then next up, and here's who I had never seen before. Well, I'd never seen Matt before either, but I'd never seen um brent cobb and i was so blown away 
he was great. His band was great. Uh, you know, just pretty much in the same vein of everything we listened to. Um, yeah, he was just fantastic. Um, one thing I noticed um, before the bands came on over the PA, they're playing like all Tom Petty, which I I dug. Um, yeah. And now, if memory serves me correctly, I know I, I I sent a little Facebook live out and then on our chat group, but uh, uh, Whiskey Myers before they come on, they play my morning song. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. It is really cool. And you know what, Tom Petty and the Black Crows, you really can't go wrong uh, paying homage to those guys. Yeah, two of my favorite bands of all time. Same, absolutely same. Yeah. And Whiskey Myers is one of your favorite current bands right now. Oh, for sure, well. yeah. And and they, I once again, I was uh, so blown away. They are so fantastic. You know, I got them right up there with Blackberry Smoke. Um, the acoustics in this, uh, this is good. This place is called the Alaris Center, and, and it's like it's an arena. It's a little bit of smaller arena. It's where the the University of North Dakota football team plays. Mm -hmm. um, so acoustics could have been a little bit better, but you know, it it, it wasn't horrible or bad or anything it was just a little bit you know a little bit of echo or whatever but the, as always i think the opening bands are kind of like the sound check you yeah know? Oh, i'm yeah. sure the sound checks they do earlier in the day kind of don't suffice so you know they're only going to find out when when the crowd's all in there and the bands are playing so well it's a little different too like if you're playing with nobody in the seats trying to dial in sound and then you get people in there because you know stuff bounces off the seats but when you have yeah. people sitting there it absorbs the sound a little bit more yeah. so yeah does whiskey meyer i know they have a new album come out last year earlier this year yeah. is it any any new stuff coming out they still just kind of continuing on uh, they're the on tour. that tour you know torneo yeah and uh you know of course they're playing stuff off it and and for those who know about whiskey meyers uh on their second record firewater the song uh bar guitar and a honky tonk crowd and I should have anticipated this, but that song is actually written by by Brent Cobb. So he came oh, really? out and did that song with them, which is very, very cool. So if is he get a Georgia guy? Like do you um, know he, I feel like he, he's from Georgia. He could be, yeah. He's cousins with Dave Cobb, the producer. Right. Um he's got an interesting history. We'll have to try and get him on at some point. Um but yeah, uh, awesome show, incredible. I'm glad I get to see Whiskey Myers again. I can't wait to see him again. And uh, all in all, a great time. Awesome. And it's always nice when you go see one of your favorite bands and they live <laughs> up to the hype. Yeah. So you saw Government Mule, Dark Side of the Mule. I did. I did. So I saw Dark Side of the Mule um, early off. Early, I think this was the third show for them. Um, in Columbus, Ohio, which was nice because every show I've seen so far, I've had to travel far away to see, or at least an hour. This was nice. This was 30 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So um, it was about a three and a half hour show, Brian. They did an hour and 15 minutes of government mule stuff, um, just as the four piece. And then they brought out saxophone player, Jackie Green, who used to play the Black Crows and Trigger Hippie. Right on. Back, the two um, gospel background singers. And uh, they played about three hours of Pink Floyd material, with, all with the laser lights and everything else. It was um, it was awesome. I saw them in 2018 on the big tour when they had the Abbott Brothers and uh, Magpie Salute. This was just Warren and Company, although they are playing some bigger dates with uh, Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience opening. This was just all Mule and nobody else. Okay. Um, it, 
Oh, he, they do a great job with Pink Floyd stuff, man. The, the musicianship is there. That's you know they're one of the best live bands out there, so they can nail the the instrumental parts. Warren's voice is not, you know, doesn't sound like Pink Floyd, but it's it works. It works for the music. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Jackie sang a song. He actually did um, "Comfortably Numb," like he did the vote the verse, and and Warren would do the chorus, and then they had a little bit of a get double guitar jam session and if you check out our instagram page uh, i put on facebook and on twitter you'll be able to see some of the jamming between warren and jackie um on comfortably numb i saw that you posted it i haven't listened to it yet but i definitely will so they they're, they're, laser they're, lights laser they, lights yeah they so they play a lot of a bunch of different pink floyd stuff it's not do they ever play like dark side of the moon all the way through as dark side of the mule or is it no, it's just all like they start out with Echoes Part One, and they they did um, Welcome to the, Welcome to the Machine, they did Breathe, they did Us and Them, they they played Money, uh, Comfortably Numb, Wish You Were Here, so they did stuff from all of. They did Fearless, which is my favorite Pink Floyd right song, on. which you know um, Magpie and, and Crows have done. So yeah, all the different records they they play songs from. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so we both saw great shows. Um, so let's uh, get into our guest, uh, another great, you know, guitar player that you can't necessarily put into just blues or just rock and roll or hard rock. It's some sort of hybrid of the three. And, uh, of course, we're talking about Eric Johansson from Louisiana, New Orleans. And I, you know, it's great to talk to him and I get to learn new stuff with a new artist or not a newer artist that I had never really dug into. I was aware of him, but uh, yeah, he was great. He's great. And, and I really liked how he talked about, well, you guys will hear it. I don't want to give it away there, but um, yeah. so yeah. Uh, what else can we say going into this? I mean, I, I was fortunate. I saw him open up for Samantha Fish and Jesse Dayton. He's the real deal. I dug his stuff, and it was just so worked out that we got a chance to talk to him um, right before his album drops, which is actually today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you were listening to this, the new record is out. So you guys uh, kick back, relax, and listen to our conversation with Eric Johansson. thing of the podcast you guys know jason will always introduce the guests for you and he do so right now and i'm always excited to introduce the guest guest this week you've already heard but i just saw him open up for samantha fish about a month ago he's doing a show this friday where our friend leilani kilgore is opening up for him we'll get into that but we are very excited to have louisiana blues artist eric johansson on the show how you doing eric doing great man yeah, doing great. We're, I almost called you Eric Johannes because my last <laughs> name is Johannes. You're Johansson. I've been called Johansson a billion freaking times, and I had to mentally fight that. 
Well, I've been called Johnson uh, a million times. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Eric Johnson, right? I mean, close to Dover. Like, I'm sure that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, people, a lot of people glance at the shape of a word and it just kind of, it triggers what they think they see. And, you know, it's rather than, you know, reading it all the way through. So that's happened all my life, even since like school, just because it's a more common name, uh, regardless of, you know, there being a guitar player named Eric Johnson. <laughs> but, but I definitely have had people that come up and, you know, said oh i love cliffs of dover and i'm like that's that's a different guy, a different guy. <laughs> i also love cliffs of dover <laughs> where where are you at in louisiana eric uh, new orleans you're in new yeah. orleans right on yeah. okay how is everything in new orleans hot good you know just uh <laughs> I, I haven't been touching home very much in the last you know few months but um but it is it has been hot you know and but you know the summers are slow in New Orleans. That, that was a pretty long tour with Samantha Fish, wasn't it? And Jesse Dayton. Well, you know, yeah, it, it it's sort of been, I've been doing shows with them, um, both with Samantha's own band and with their duet band. I've been doing shows with them since, you know, August of last year. So it's not really one unbroken trip. Um, but we did have, you know, we, we do a couple weeks sometimes uh we in june we were out for about a month um and then you know we've had another week and a half trip and then like a you know that sort of thing so it's broken up a little bit um but yes i've been doing a lot of shows with them for for most all of the year yeah and i i just found out too um jesse dayton actually who samantha fish and jesse just had that record out they've been torn he's a producer as well has he worked to produce any of your stuff yeah he produced my new record um the yeah the, the deep in the dirty uh and um yeah it was kind of uh i mean i met him for the first time in person on the first day of us going in the studio but we started talking about it on the phone and and in zoom calls and stuff before we got to the studio so i knew that we were on the same page and you know we we worked well together um but yeah it's uh you know so it's it's been cool hanging out with those guys and and you know i i open up the show and then at the end i jam with them and stuff yeah you did that was awesome three guitars on stage you always everybody got a little chance to shine that was great yeah no it's it's uh it's it's a blast and and um their their whole crew is great uh our bands get along and everything so it's it's a good it's a good time out there so let's let's just start out with like how how you got into music how you start playing guitar and then you know and then how that leads to you you know having your own band well you know i mean i was always really taken in by music consumed with music and i was i was jumping on the couch playing air guitar you know as a toddler and stuff uh so I only have vague memories of, you know, asking for a guitar because I got one really pretty early. I mean, I had like a toy guitar and then I got like a real guitar when I was five. Um, but I didn't really have any instruction uh, per se. But my my family, you know, my grandfather and grandmother had a piano and organ store. Um, so they were involved in music. 
uh, all everybody on my mom's side of the family plays something or other or sings. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of music around. Um, so I, and a lot of the things, you know, you're typically not as interested in what the adults think is cool or whatever. Um, my first, you know, the music that first grabbed me was like arena rock music. I got to go to some shows when I was pretty young and, you know, seeing an arena rock show at like seven is, you know, that was like Superdome. Cool. Is that where you went? Yeah, I saw, um, I saw, you know, Metallica and Guns N' Roses at the Superdome when I was pretty oh, young. Oh, that was that 92 tour or 91, yeah. 92, right? Where they were co-headlining together. Yeah. And James's arm was burnt. From oh shit you're at that shit that's right yeah yeah so i mean i i saw metallica a number of times there was in junior high i had uh enough shirts to not run out of them over the course of <laughs> i could wear a new metallica shirt every day to school so i was pretty into it but um you know yeah so i mean the arena rock thing is definitely what first lit my imagination up um, even though I all, you know, I was dancing to Michael Jackson and stuff, you know, when, when I was a toddler, I mean, I was into, you know, all kinds of stuff, but definitely that was what I pictured myself doing at first and what really got me excited. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, so I was, I started writing some of my own stuff, um, pretty early on, really before I could even play lead guitar, I was writing riff based rock songs. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, it just, I kind of just learning things off of records and getting a sense of how things were put together and, you know, but there was always also this blues influence around because, you know, there there was local musicians that 
that played that kind of stuff. My mom's record collection had Etta James and BB King and, and, you know, Freddie King and, and all that stuff. And I liked it all, even if I was listening to more hard rock and Hendrix was always cool to me. And that was kind of a bridge between the two. Um, and, and as I would read, you know, pour through the guitar magazines and read who influenced this person. And, you know, you start going backward to something like black Sabbath and then, you know, or Zeppelin, and then, you know, you you read, well, who were they listening to? And then that brings you back to the blues guys and everything. So I think it was always those two tracks. Um, but when I was about, you know, 13, 14, I, w- I was able to learn enough of like some blues scales and, and, and start start putting together the fretboard enough to improvise and sit in with older musicians and of course they weren't playing heavy rock music they were playing bluesy rock and classic rock and stuff like that and so you know being able to improvise over a blues jam was so exciting to me that it really sort of refocused my um my listening habits and my direction of music as well because I, th- I think once I really felt what that felt like to improvise um, and to to be in the moment and sort of be on that ride uh, I really leaned back toward the blues um, so it's kind of always I've always had those two things going on um, and then when I when I started to try to write my own music that kind of pulled me back toward heavier rock again because I I never I mean I still to some extent struggle with how to write quote unquote a blues song because it feels like it's already been written um, you know if you're taking a twelve bar mm-hmm. blues it, it's like well that's already written like it, so the only thing that would make me feel like um, hey this is an idea I should pursue well there was always something different about it. You know, though this riff has a cool thing about it, like, and then that would set me off or this beat is kind of interesting and weird, like that would set me off to writing something. And so inevitably, I found myself writing things that were not traditional structures. And, and my voice is also, you know, I couldn't, I was like, well, I'm never going to sound like Freddie King, like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and so that sort of leaned me back into hard rock. So yeah, long-winded, you know, explanation. But that I I got into music on these dual tracks of what was around me in Louisiana and MTV, you know, and just like everybody else, you know. So uh, when did you? Let's just go kind of chronologically, like when you decided to cut your first record and in, in, in that process. Well, my first record under my own name um, was 2017 with Tab Benoit. That wasn't anywhere near my first record um, Mm -hmm. as, you know, a recording artist. I had records with, um, you know, my hard rock band um, and also like a a electro acoustic project. What was your hard rock band? And can we find that online somewhere? Yeah, you can, along with a lot of uh, a a small cultish following of people that continue to want me to do it. But it's uh, it's (laughs) called Sire, C-I-R-E. And then um, 
the uh, electroacoustic project is called Empty Self. Um, and, you know, for a while, I kind of kept those secret when I was talking about my bluesy stuff because I sort of felt this, like, people want to know, yeah, but what are you really? Like, you know, if if you did those things and you're doing this now is is what's real and it's it's all real i don't know um but uh but the first you know i so i did i did that stuff originally um that that was my my first releases in original music um but then i sort of really missed the improvisational uh roots music but i sort of pursued that by just playing around with other people and being a guitar player for hire. And it wasn't really until 2017 when I finally put out a record of me as a power trio doing stripped down, you know, bluesy rock and roll. And that was Burn It Down, um, produced by Tab Benoit. How did you meet Tab? I met Tab um, really by going to his shows. I, I mean, I had a sort of a connection with I had heard him on a record years before uh, I ever met him. I'd heard a little bit of his music, but not much. But then a buddy of mine was playing, uh, Doug Gay was playing drums for him for a couple of years. And Doug had been in my band Sire, actually, at one point, my hard rock band. And he was now playing drums for Tab. Um and so and at the same time, I was playing with Cyril Neville and Tab and Cyril had the same manager. So there was a number of overlapping connections. So I started hanging out at Tab's shows and I really just felt this vitality in, in what he was doing. It it really never felt like he was going through the motions. Um, it really, you know, was inspiring me. And so I started hanging out at his shows as much as possible. And he, and, and he started. uh inviting me on stage um that led to us talking about recording um which i had been thinking i wanted to do i just hadn't found the right place for that to uh to land and so he and i started talking about recording an album he talked about how he was trying to start a label and so i was the first guitar player that he signed to his uh whiskey bayou label so, yeah, it was kind of really just organic. I mean, um, hanging out at shows, jamming, and then going to his camp on the bayou and having, you know, late night uh, jams till the wee hours and stuff. And um, and then he ended up taking me on the road for like over two years, opening up almost all of his headline shows. So what what did he, is it, is it difficult to put into words like what, you learn from him or what is there something he brought to your playing that wasn't there before or your you know how you think about it or well one thing is he just doesn't leave anything on the table i mean he goes out there and there's an there's an urgency and a uh he puts a lot of energy into it and that's something that i there's an intensity to that that i'm I've always been drawn to in music, whatever style it is, you know, I, I'm not, I don't like when it seems like, uh, you know, people are just kind of, um, again, like going through the motions or, you know, just playing a song like they've played it a million times. And, um, and, and he always, 
it seems like he's given it everything he has. Um, but there's also, I've also been, I've always been a fan of the trio format. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think that there's a certain style of playing guitar where you're covering this enormous spectrum of sound. And that really appeals to me where you're playing rhythm and lead all together. Power trio. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different style of playing than when you're just playing a little bit of licks here and there amidst a horn section and a keyboard player and whatever. It's, it's totally different. Uh, And that, I've always liked how I can dig into that because I can hear everything that those three musicians are doing. So, you know, I, I was naturally into that. Um, but I think also just his way of being able to go out there with, with very little, you know, it doesn't matter if he was playing a huge room with a big PA or a small room with a tiny crappy PA or whatever it's you it's gonna hit you because he's gonna give it everything he has and um yeah and you know there so there's that there's also the way that he improvises he's not doing licks like you'd never see a YouTube video go oh here's that tab Benoit lick like he really is um kind of going on a journey that you know is speaking through the guitar and um and you know the singing is, is it you know he's he's got he doesn't have an exclusively male guitar player audience which i think is important to me too like i i mm-hmm. i um i want to do music that is resonating with people you know male female whatever that that are connecting with ideas and feelings and not just guitar players um yeah I, I learned a lot from you know being with him for those you know for all that time um you know yeah also joking with the crowd i mean sometimes you know if you if you have a crowd that's a little bit that needs to loosen up a little bit or they're just <laughs> sitting there staring at you sometimes you know you can't just rock at their faces you have to talk to them for a second and like <laughs> you know get a little rapport going so that when you play the song they're actually like with you um so yeah yeah i learned a lot going back to your hard rock and kind of metal roots like you're talking about that the reason why you like a power trio format and then when i heard you play it all makes sense like you're certainly a blues rock artist but when you play and the stuff you play it's not, it doesn't feel like super tra- traditional. It feels modern. I think with that, probably that really good influence of rock on you, would you say? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times people tell me, oh, I hear a little bit of this and I hear a little bit of that. And it's definitely, that's an organic process. I'm never yeah. going, hey, if I fit this much rock with this much blues and, you know, yeah. I'm just doing whatever I do. But, but I do think that um, you're right. I mean, there are certain interesting textures and and tonalities that appeal to me um you know i definitely you know have as much uh hard rock from the 90s that has taken up a certain amount of my brain as i have old blues stuff so you know there, there is um 
I think that the the thing that makes the difference, you know, these, these lines aren't firm, you know, but I, I think that I'm trying to testify with the music. You know, I'm trying to play and speak with the music. And there's that improvisational element. Um, so I think that's what makes it fit in the blues world. But um but but definitely i mean there's riffs and you know sometimes there's darker tones um and and it's kind of heavy you know i mean i can't really get away from that because it's um it's just where i want to go with the emotion it's like it's hard not to go to a place that gets kind of heavy at times it's a great sound live and you're right like trying to fill that space being a three piece piece you got to do things a little different very clearly evident, you know, it's uh, you're not that traditional Delta blues, but you're definitely got that blues inspired piece to it. And I think you're, you got a great sound. Thank you. Thanks, man. I just read a quote actually this morning from John Mayer. I don't know where I ran across it. I'm curious to get your opinion on it. He says, you shouldn't ever cover a blues solo note for note. You should always put your own influence on it. Yeah. I mean, I don't even cover my own solos note for note. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't, I mean, to me, it defeats the purpose of what the, that element of the music. You got to have a feel to it, right? Whatever's going on at that time. Yeah. I, I, I mean, even honestly, even when I'm playing riffs of mine where it's like, okay, this is kind of a part of the song. It's still not really note for note. I'm still... I'm still feeling it in that moment and putting emphasis in different places, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And but when I take solos, there are kind of certain things where, you you know, you feel like, well, this is kind of a melodic theme in the solo. And so I want the live version to still I mean, I'll naturally still reference maybe the same theme a little bit, but. Yeah, even with my own solos, I mean, they're new every time. You do start to have certain movements that might happen during a song where you you kind of go, oh, you know, that feels so good when we kind of take it from here and then we build it up here and and that might happen more than once, you know. But, um, but definitely with the blues stuff, um, I if I cover a blues artist... You know, I do like a Muddy Waters thing here, or there, or Sun House, or or uh, you know, BB King, or whatever. Um, I literally am like taking the lyrics and the basic chord changes of the song and just doing whatever. I'm really not. I mean, you know, like they're like with Death Letter. I've I, you know, I did a cover of Death Letter, and it just happens to have caught a lot of streams, and so people ask me to play that one. Um, you know, I'm sort of referencing the riff that that Sunhouse did, but it's not like, oh, what what string is he picking where? You know, it's just right. I mean, yeah, it's it's close, but <laughs> well, well, kind of moving into the cover song thing. This is actually a good segue. You did two different records of cover cover songs, like what cover tracks volume one, cover tracks volume two in 2021. Yeah. Very eclectic choices on there. You've got a Chicago song. Um, Midnight Rider, card, a cardigan song. Like, what is your thought going into like these picking uh, cover songs to do? 
it was kind of a combination of I mean the cardigans. Like, come on, what blues? What, who's covering the cardigans? <laughs> I have to admit that was my pick. Uh, I that that album of the cardigans, Long Gone Before Daylight, just has a really special place for me. Uh, though, admittedly, I like a lot of their stuff. I think a lot of people only know that one song, uh, "Love." Love cool. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and they don't really understand that that's it's a it's a pretty deep band. They have like a lot of cool stuff. And they don't sound like that song normally. That's they that's really a very don't. yeah yeah. It's it's such a tongue in cheek, um, cheesy love song. You know it, that that it's yeah it, it it's almost it. I'm sure that there's a lot of bands where they do something that's almost like ironic, and then it becomes the hit, and then it's like everybody thinks that's all they sound like all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean that I like that you know that band, um, and so some of the songs were requests. I did open it up to people to request things. Um, and then some of them were from my own, you know, just desire to put different random things like Fiona Apple, Nine Inch Nails, those, the Cardigans, those are definitely songs that I just um, kind of wanted to do in there. But then like the free song, um, Oh, I Wept, um, like that was a request from somebody. Uh, and I listened to it and I was like, man, that is cool. I really like that beat. You know, I like the, I like the thing. Um, House of the Rising Sun. That's one of those songs that I feel like it's just done to death. But I got so many requests for it that I was like, let me see if I can do something cool with it. You know, um, Soundgarden, Fourth of July. That was me. You know, that's just me wanting to do something that I like. So it's Your kind 90s of these metal metal guy coming through there. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, it's it, it was a it was a combination, and then and then you know, a little Walter, um, Sun House, all that, all most of the blues. Got to throw in the traditional blues too, you know. You gotta gotta get it. Yeah, most people didn't request any blues. Like when I opened it up, there weren't really that many people that requested old blues tunes, so I wanted to put them in there. Most people were requesting classic rock stuff, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, I, I I was doing the live streams during the pandemic and stuff. And so it was kind of a thing of saying, hey, you know, people people were asking like, oh, I want a CD that sounds like this, which is basically me scratching on the guitar and making a loop out of it and playing on top of it and just this really stripped down thing. And I didn't have any shows going on. And I was like, well, you know, why not? You know, um, and so I kind of made it a little bit of a collaborative process with the fans, with them telling me what they'd like to hear, you know. That was my next question. Was there, we say like uh, people were requesting, did you do like a ca campaign before you went in the studio for these just to see what people wanted or? Yeah, I kind of just took requests um, via email or direct message or whatever. And I just kind of considered them. And, it, you know, sometimes it'd be like more than one person independently requesting a song. And I'd say, okay, well, that's interesting that for some reason, the song that I've never played, I've got multiple people that want to hear me sing it like house of the rising sun, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, that's really the only reason that I would have considered something that was so much in the wheelhouse of a cover band. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I recorded those at home, you know, I, I recorded it, mixed, mastered it, made the artwork. I mean, those were zero budget recordings 
And the cool thing is, you know, they, they have actually brought in some new folks to the music. Um, so, you know, it's, it was definitely worth doing. And, um, it was a fun, it was a fun project for me to do while I didn't really have that many shows going on. Yeah. So, like very eclectic choices. I mean, I, it's pretty awesome. And Brian, next, next time I see Eric, I'm going to scream out for Fiona Apple and Cardigan songs from you. So I'll be that guy. <laughs> well, there are there. So a lot of that stuff, the only thing is like, that is pretty much exclusively the domain of me by myself doing acoustic stuff, which I don't do a whole lot. Um, I, I occasionally I will do an acoustic show and that's the place where I can do any of those. But, you know, we, as the, when I'm out there most of the time, you know, if you see my name, it's a power trio and we stick to for the most part, my original music, you know, we may do a, a, a reworked blues tune here or there, but we don't foray. I don't think you played any covers when I saw you. I think it was all your originals. Right, right. Yeah, we we pretty much stick to that. Yeah. So before that, you did the uh, Below Sea Level record, you know, at Zebra Record or Zebra Recording Studios. It's Cody and Luther Dickinson's studio and yeah. Luther produced. Cody played drums. Um, how did you get get hooked up with those guys? And I, I've been listening to that a lot, and it's I just love it. I mean, so we're big fans of those guys too. So how did that all come about? Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of North Mississippi All Stars, and I have been for quite some years. And uh, you know, I I think I'd met Luther maybe once at a jazz, at Jazz Fest um, before. You know, I was just always really a big fan of his playing. I mean, his slide playing so beautiful and his riffs. I mean, he's got, you know, all this low tune stuff that I always thought sounded so great. I mean, just I love what he does and and Cody's drumming as well. I mean, it's just it's it's funky and it's heavy and it's just uh, grooving and everything. Um, so I, I've always been a big fan of those guys. Uh, I met Luther again in 2019 uh we i i did this uh kind of hendrix jam thing that terrence higgins had um terrence higgins who coincidentally uh he's a friend of mine he he actually played drums on my new album but he plays with him he's uh, a member of the warren haynes band and you know ani defranco's band and he plays for tab benoit and stuff but terrence had this hendrix jam and um with different people interpreting hendrix songs in a funky way during uh jazz fest and um so i went and was like a guest on that jam and luther was on it as well and um so we got to talking you know i was just like man i love what you do so much or whatever and he's and he's like man we should make a record sometime and i was like oh yeah like yeah that would be great man you know and he's like yeah we got a place in mississippi man it's like you know it's like a barn you know <laughs> <laughs> we you know we've had have made a new recording studio and and so i you know we had that conversation we exchanged info and then i i hit him up about it and you know he came back in town we went and hung out um you know we just kept the conversation going and, and so we made it happen um you know it took a little while to work out our schedules to to make it happen but but um yeah, we recorded that album in February of 2020, late February 2020. And um, 
and it was great. You know, it was great working with those guys. Um, you know, Cody's a beast and, and, uh, Luther is just a great presence to be around in general. He's, just, uh, you know, he just makes you, he just puts you in a good mood. An original, unique guitar player too. Like, you know, it's Luther. He's not, sound, mm-hmm. he doesn't sound like anybody else. Great tone. And, um, I mean, that's to me a big thing. It's, it's funny how often I don't like guitar players tone because I'm just really a big fan of a big round, smooth sound. And I find that a lot of guitar players, for whatever reason, um, kind of get in this uh, mid-rangey piercing thing. Mm-hmm. And I just am not always a fan of. Uh, and Luther has that big, round, you know, blanket of a sound. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm i just a really big fan of his playing. It's, you know, it, it's it's always, it's never flashy either it's always melodic and uh and you know very vocal in his delivery yeah and speaking of luther and three-piece blues rock power trios i'm getting ready to see his new side gig the bagman with steve gorman and and nick gorvik uh, in august in cincinnati i'm looking really looking forward to that i really love those guys in the crows and should be pretty awesome yeah, I didn't. I wasn't even aware of that. Somehow, I, I that didn't even come across my radar. I, I'll have to check that out. That's awesome. Oh man, I mean, you got Gorman on drums. You talk about Beast, him. You got Luther on guitar, Nick Gorvik's vocals and and bass. So like, that's heard a couple tunes, man. Solid shit. Oh, awesome, man. That's great. I'll have to check it out. So let's talk about the new music, the deep and the dirty. Yeah. Um. So. I, I'm super excited about this record. Um, it's, you know, it's, you know, I'm always trying to get to this place where the the music is um, digging into uh, my, you know, subconscious, whatever it is that I might be trying to work out. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of, just imagination inspiring music where uh, maybe there's a little bit open to the interpretation of the listener. Um, but I, I really feel like this, this record, it just, it sounds cool. Uh, I'm super excited to play the songs live because there's more high energy stuff on this record. Uh, and that's something that you start to realize only in retrospect, sometimes when you when you do a record that it's like, oh, well, there's only really, you know, one song from this record that would make a good first song of the set or something like that. So there's a there's a practical element of like, I'm looking forward to playing this stuff live just because it varies up the repertoire quite a bit. Um, but yeah, you know, I I. Um, I I'm always trying to evolve the music to where everything that I'm into is naturally coming together uh and hoping that the that there will be an audience for it you know that that the blues audience won't find it too rock or or whatever but I I um I think it's you know it's I'm I'm proud of the record I'm I'm really excited for for people to to hear it 
you know, it's funny you mentioned that if it's two blues for rock, two rock for blues, like we talked to, you know, a number of bands from the Southeast that kind of get that it's two rock for country, two country for rock. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. You mentioned that, like, we haven't really talked about that, that crossover, you know, the people will say blues rock, but I just thought it was interesting. You said that you don't want to be yeah. two rock for blues or two blues for rock. You know, the, the weird thing is, so there are, people there are artists like stevie ray vaughn for instance who for good reason because of his immense talent and like sort of uh, you know unmatched uh just technique on the guitar you know his it just this the what he wrenches out of a note you know or or what he was able to get out of the guitar he inspired millions of people and what happened is there are blues bands in every town playing at a a bar and they are largely influenced by that style and so what has happened in this weird way is that like the term blues rock to me I sometimes still am slightly uncomfortable with because I think it has a connotation for some people that oh yeah that's what the the band down the street does every Friday Mm -hmm. and Saturday night and to some extent, and that's not to say that a lot of those bands uh, aren't full of talented people, but you you can go from town to town and hear someone playing Pride and Joy, and none of that strikes you as cutting edge, uh, really vital and important art that's being made right now. It strikes you as like, oh yeah, well, that's what the bands do at the bars on mm-hmm. the weekend, whatever. So... I think that there's, I I see a lot of people um, who that's what they want. And they, they, if, if they, they hear blues rock, they're like, that's exactly what they're hoping it's going to be. Right. Because that's what they're into. There's also a whole level of the music industry that that seems radioactive to, because it seems to say there's nothing interesting to see here. It's just your standard, Mm-hmm. It's it's a shuffle and a guy playing guitar solos and that's all you're going to get. And, you know, so move on. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, and I agree with that. And that, that honestly played into the name of the podcast because I consider that all things blues rock. But I feel like that, that like cast too wide of a net because you mm-hmm. can almost put anything under that category. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, like, you know, again, um, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that Texas blues stuff. I mean, it's it's freaking great, which is why it inspired so many people. Um, I think that what I'm always hoping that people will understand that I'm trying to do is actually make, you know, album oriented music with songs and um that the guitar is a big part of the sound you know if you don't like the sound of electric guitar then you're probably not going to like what i do but it's not just a platform for guitar solos you know Mm -hmm. i'm I'm trying to make albums i'm trying to make records trying to make songs that that help me explore my experience and you know hopefully connect with people so you just oh go ahead, Jason. Sorry. No, no, go. You do yours and I'll do mine. Um, so is it just the one single you have out now, and the record is yet to come, or? 
Uh, we've got two singles, you know, as we're speaking now, um, the record is coming out this Friday. Um, okay. So I'm not sure when the this 28th, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So the record comes out July 28th and um, we have uh, two singles, Don't Hold Back and the title track, The Deep and the Dirty, mm-hmm. which are out now. Um, and, uh, you know, the re- with the rest of it coming out, it's 12 songs. So we've got, you know, the rest of it coming out Friday. Um, and, you know, and it, it it really runs the range of, you know, there's some fuzzier textures on here, some stuff that's maybe a little bit more edgy. But there's also, you know, a decent amount of resonator guitar and, and um, you know, very Delta-inspired, uh, you know, sounds within the context of an original song yeah what are you i guess what songs are you most proud of on there i know you're going to say the whole record everybody does but like honestly is it some of the stuff that's you know kind of a you know right turn or like what are the songs that hey everybody listening right now should go check out first and foremost on the album well you know, I mean, the the first single we released, "Don't Hold Back," to me, mm-hmm. that that came rather quickly to me in the week or so before we went into the studio. Um, there were some songs that I kicked back and forth with Jesse Dayton, and he he said, "You know, what if you you know, what if you tried another little section here, or you know, what if this song had a bridge, and you know that kind of thing, where where we kind of." um bounced them back and forth that don't hold back that one was just a last minute addition on my part just like I just had a groove in my head and I I did that riff and you know and I was just like man yeah this this has like a really hype vibe to it and and uh so I'm I'm proud of that one it's fun to play and it it, to me it, it opens up the record it's the first song on the record and it's also, you know, some different sounds. You just like fuzzier tones and stuff. But, uh, you know, there's this, there's a song, um, Elysian Fields, uh, that I think is is kind of got a cool thing about it. Um, I mean, I again, I would say the whole record, you know, but but uh, there's definitely, you know, some interesting territory to me that that the record goes into where um i've got some songs that are not literally talking about the emotion that they convey sometimes like elysian fields is about driving on a particular street in new orleans and i think you can feel from the song that there's more going on than that and it has a whole mood and atmosphere around it and that for me, it's an, it's an interesting, um, there, there's, I don't know. It's just, it's just different perhaps than some of my other stuff. Um, there's the last song on the record which is called she is the song is really was like a one take, uh, thing. I mean, the, the, the whole record was primarily live. We really layered almost nothing, you know, occasionally shaker and tambourine and stuff you know, with the solos done live and everything, that one in particular 
um, the the rough mix we heard at the end of the day after recording it is pretty much what you hear on the record. And it, you know, to me, that one has a special place for me. It's definitely the only like slow song on the record, really. Um, but yeah. Songwriting question, because you brought it up about Bridges. We don't normally talk about songwriting, but for Bridges... I always struggle with figuring out should a song have a bridge or where does it go? What is, what's your approach? Yeah. You know, I, I would say it just, I'll feels, write every song without a bridge. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly have plenty that don't have them. Um, and, and partly that's that more bluesy song format. You know, some of my songs I've tried to, I've, you know, like some of the stuff on below sea level, like I, I tried to like, like buried above ground or down in the bottom. I tried to think, so even those, these are kind of heavier rock songs in a way. I mean, they're not heavy, heavy rock, right, but right. they're heavier for the blues genre. And, but at the same time, I tried to think about them as what if it was just a resonator guitar and one guy tapping his foot does the song still make sense? You know, I, I just trying to infuse that hypnotic um, solo performance thing that somehow like the nucleus of the band song with the powerful drumming. So those types of songs, you know, they've never tended to have bridges for me. I, I, I couldn't say right off the top of my head, but I figure most of my songs, at least on the records under my own name, don't have bridges. But yeah. with with this new one, it just felt right for some of the, the songs. It felt like they needed some further explanation or they needed some further, uh, you know, they needed to open up to some other place to kind of take you deeper into the idea before coming back to the theme in a new way um so yeah i, I don't know i i suppose it, you know you you always want to add as little as possible I, right I, and especially you know something that's just like a practical thing when these days they like i'm thrilled that vinyl is coming back but vinyl is a harsh time limitation and mm -hmm. You know, so you 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 really do start to think, OK, well, you know, when you used to have 75 minutes on a CD, you didn't have to think as much about do we really need it to repeat this one more time or not? <laughs> but, but when you when you get to like 45 minutes, you know, it's like, I don't think it needs that there. I think that needs to be cut short or whatever. It it kind of helps the songs in a, in a weird way. Because you start to realize, man, that, you know, this Cut out the fat, right? Lean and mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it helps you trim it down because, I mean, there's so many classic records. And when you put them on, you don't feel like, oh, well, they really rushed through that. You know, it feels like exactly the right length. And and yet they fit on that 45 minutes. So, um, you know, obviously you can do a double vinyl. It's just hugely expensive. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, it's... um you know, I, I, I kind of use that as a way of thinking, okay, I don't want, you know, if it really comes down to it and a song just can't fit on the record, then it won't fit on the record. But like, you know, let's make sure that there's no 
uh, fat on these. Let's make sure that there's no BS on this on these songs. It doesn't need to be there. Um, so yeah, you know, you kind of. It's a great explanation, particularly how records now can help with the songwriting or the the track listing. Yeah. So what 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 are the touring plans when the record comes out? Well, you know, we've been touring uh, for all year, really. Um, and, uh, you know, immediately this weekend when the record comes out, we've got a theater show in northern Alabama, uh, Princess Theater in Decatur. And then we're playing um, in Nashville with Lilani Kilgore opening up for us. Uh, I think she's great. Um, and oh, she's uh, amazing. Have you seen her live before? I haven't, um, but I've heard her music and I, you know, it's funny. I, I, her name came up to me about pro a proposed show this last jazz fest. The show didn't happen, but it put her name in my mind. And then I played a venue, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she had played there and they recorded her show from the soundboard. And they put it up on the PA while we were loading out. And I was like, wow, man, she's like the real deal. Like, this is like, for sure, digging it. Like, tight you know. band, too, man. John, her, you know, her side man, he's great. Uh, Josh on bait, like, you're going to dig it. I just saw her again a couple weeks ago and she can get after it. The whole band can get after it. Yeah. You know, I'm really into people that are keeping this roots music alive but it real it really feels like they're they're actually doing stuff that they think is cool i i you would assume everyone is doing stuff that they think is cool but occasionally sometimes you hear people's records and you're not sure <laughs> it's sort of like are you doing something you think works or you think hits a certain market or do you really like this like is this really exciting to you and like when i hear what she's doing i'm i'm like this is cool like you know she yeah. is honestly doing stuff that is clearly inspiring to her it's inspiring to the audience and you know i dig it i think that there's um cuz i, I want to see a whole rejuvenation of organic live music I'm not saying it ever died, but let's face it, the crowd for it is pretty uh, is is older. And mm -hmm. I would like to see more younger artists that are into doing music without a laptop, you know, music without backing tracks, you know, really going up there and pouring their hearts out into it. And uh, I can definitely hear that with her. And so, you know, I'm I'm. Um, I'm really looking forward to that show and hopefully more in the future. Um, but yeah, so we're doing that show and um, and then we we're going and hitting, you know, another club in Indiana. Um, and then we're playing the, you know, Sweetwater Pavilion. Uh, that's with uh, Samantha Fish. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. What, what and, date is that? Do you know? So you're about this is about 215 from me. That's uh, July 30th. Oh, oh shit, coming right up. Okay. okay yeah. That's so a cool pavilion. And you could go to Sweetwater while you're there and look at all their cool shit. Exactly. Yeah. It's a cool spot. Um, and uh and then, you know, I the weekend after that, I've got some Florida dates on my own. 
Um, then we're doing a little run in the Midwest. So we're, we're touring, you know, like uh, September, we're heading out to the West Coast. And that's like over a month of touring that's going to take us all through the West Coast and Colorado, Arizona, and, you know, um, heading all the way back into the Midwest before we head back home. Um, and then in, in uh, it was just announced today, actually, in late November, December, we've got this Shake Em On Down tour, which is Samantha Fish um, and jesse dayton along with john spencer from the you know john spencer blues explosion that was just announced today wasn't it at least i saw on social media yeah yeah that's a hell of a tour bill too man that's that's a freaking about as solid as you're gonna get yeah it should be fun i think it'll be cool should be a blast so yeah we're we're pretty much rolling like for i mean we have been all year and we are through the end of the year um and then, you know, next year, hoping to, uh, to, you know, get out there and hit a lot more festivals and stuff and possibly even some Europe stuff. Right on. Jason, is it that time of the show? All right, Eric, we warned you. Usually at the end of the interviews, we like to do our lightning round of just stupid questions. Are, are you in? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll start off on something serious first, though, and then we'll get to the dumb stuff. Uh, Tell us about your guitar and your guitar brand you use because my friend and I are at the show. We're trying to figure it out. We finally looked it up. So tell us about it. Oh, you know, my main two these days uh, for the last five years or so have been uh, Duesenberg's. Mm -hmm. Um, They're, you know, a a German guitar company and um, I, I love them. You know, I've, um, they really have a blend of things from, fender gibson gretsch ideas uh with obviously with some of their own ingenuity and and um they really are i mean they're beautiful guitars but they're also Mm -hmm. um you know they there's something about they have the fender scale length with humbuckers and that longer scale length appeals to me because there's something about the way you play it you can kind of hit the thing more uh, whereas I feel like I have a Les Paul and it's like a shorter scale length mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a, I mean, those are awesome too, but there's something about, um, I like, I like to have to fight the guitar a little bit, you know, I use like 11s and the longer scale length, it, it puts a little more tension and that allows me to kind of get a little bit more percussive with it and hit it. And like, it so makes- your actions up then too, huh, a little bit. Yeah, I, I have yeah. decently high action because I go back and forth between play and slide and, and regular playing mm-hmm. on the same guitar. Yep. So you so got to like, have a little bit of space, yeah. Yeah, I like a little higher action. And I like the tension, you know. I, I, um, I'm i sure you can get, you know, a, you can get a decent sound with whatever gauge strings you use, but I like to feel that pressure. You know, I, I, I want to fight with it a little bit. Um, so... Yeah, I, I I love them, man. I, you know, and I've tweaked them a little bit. Mine, um, I've I've swapped some different pickups around and stuff like that. But but those models that I use are models that are available. Um, from Sweetwater there. sells them because we looked it up. We're like, where do we? Okay. What is that guitar? And where do we find them? Yeah. They're not cheap, though. They are not cheap guitars. They they're not. I mean, they're you know, I mean, they're compared to like American 
Gibsons and Les Pauls and stuff. I mean, they're not, they're in the same range, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but no, they're not, they're not inexpensive. No, no. And with the price, the inflation of guitar prices the last year have gone insane. Yeah. Well, you know, if, unless I'm working with a company that gives me a deal on stuff, I'm, I've always been like a fan of the used market anyway, because you, oh, you're just going to ding absolutely. it up anyway. Like Facebook marketplace is awesome for getting shit. The Les Paul I have right there, I bought it about a thousand dollars. It was probably stolen, but <laughs> still had plastic on the pick guard. Yeah. I paid $1,900. It's a 2020 Les Paul standard iced tea, 60s neck. Paid yeah. 1900 for it. That's awesome. Yeah, I have a a, a, a standard 60s neck. Uh, it's an 06, but um, and I put a Bigsby on it just for the hell of it, and you know. But it's a they're great guitars. I mean, there's a reason that they're the rock yeah. and roll standard. You know, it's I, everybody um has used one at one point or another, and there's a reason for that for sure. Great sound. All right, let's stick with some guitar stuff then. Uh, what what's your go to riff when you pick up a guitar for the first time oh you know it's probably nothing specific but it's probably just some bluesy thing in e you know just like uh just some swampy bluesy thing in e that you know i, f I feel like there probably is something that when i'm checking the tuning of a guitar or checking the sound it's probably like this similar type of uh uh thing um but yeah, no, nothing, nothing in particular. Um, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I, I definitely come up with riffs more than I learn them. Um, I'm, I really am not an encyclopedia of songs, of other people's songs by any means. I, and I've sort of always been that way. I'm always like, I spend more time just trying to, come up with stuff or hearing something in my head and then trying to see where it is on the guitar versus learning how something else is played. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. No, no particular song, just probably your riffs to test, see what sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. Uh, what pedal can't you live without? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, you know, so I, I kind of, uh, I well, I, I acquired this um, Rotosphere, which I've always been a big fan of, the Hughes and Kettner Rotosphere, um, largely because of Warren Haynes, admittedly, um, but also you know there a number of people use them. Kim Thale from Soundgarden, and you know even Anders Osborne, and um, but it's like a Leslie simulator, and it's okay. freaking... so it's a rotary, right? Rotary. Yeah, pedal. I mean it's yeah. it's eight something pounds. It takes up you know almost a quarter of the pedal board it's like good lord it's 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 uh and then they don't make them anymore and they're hell to fix i had to buy three of them to find one of them with an acceptable noise level and the first two i put about 800 dollars into having somebody tinker around trying to fix them before i just realized you got to just keep buying them until you find a good one and then and just keep you know just but like it's like going uh, to a junkyard for car parts <laughs> yeah i but so it's kind of like one of these things where if, you know, the day it breaks, I don't know, I, you know, I probably just, I'm going to keep looking to acquire more of them, but I love the sound of it. It's like, it's a, it's a rotary thing. And I don't even use it that much in the show, but it's, it's not about the accuracy of it to, 
it's like not like you know these digital models thing where it's like oh this is accurately reproducing the, the sound of a leslie i've tried those i i tried like every one of them on the market and they always had some kind of harsh digital thing about it and that tube it's a analog tube leslie simulator and it just has a it's sound to it it's just it's inspiring to play so that you know and then the other thing would probably be some type of a clon thing i had a gold clon back in the um you know early 2000s and uh and katrina took that and uh and since then i i have the uh the the red ktr um and then also like the I actually took that off of my board and put a Wampler Tumnus Deluxe on the board, which is a, a clon, another clon type clone thing. Um, and I actually, for the moment, am liking the Tumnus Deluxe better just because it has an EQ. Um, and so you can kind of control some of those mids and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, man, I, I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll end up picking them all if I keep going. <laughs> the one you can't live without. Um, yeah. what's the one piece of gear you would get right now if money were no object? Oh man. Um you know, I'm pretty happy with the stuff I have. So that's that's tricky. Uh, it's gotta be an indulgence, right? Not anything you need, because it's like, hey, I can get whatever I want, right? Yeah. Um I I you know, I really like uh nationals um and they have been you know I'm, I'm sort of you know mildly endorsed but i mean they, they help me out with parts and stuff like that um but the resonators are so inspiring to me that i, I certainly wouldn't mind having another <laughs> national um but yeah you know i i really feel i mean i i hate to say i, I don't know i I'm, i really feel um maybe um shoot you know i was looking at gretches for a while and i just thought they looked so pretty and everything but then i really wasn't in love with the way that they played compared to the duesenbergs and stuff so i don't know i'm i'm pretty well set i you know i i definitely am running out of space to put things at the moment so um and and you know I, the category five guys the the amp guys they take care of me and stuff so as far as amps I I couldn't really uh yeah I don't know man I think I'm I'm pretty just good. think of it this way you've got fans out there listening to this podcast that yeah you there's birthdays and Christmases you know never know somebody <laughs> might buy you one of these things so that's a chance <laughs> oh okay yeah shoot uh, <laughs> yeah, you know no I. You know, I, I, I guess, um, yeah, the, you know, the pedal board thing has been an evolving thing. Um, and that's, that's pretty well set up. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, I, I just got an Explorer that was built for me Ooh. by somebody that was on the list. Yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's like a, uh, you know, and it, it, uh, explorer that that uh this guy music city custom guitars made for me um yeah I, I guess i would say maybe you know like another another national um you know i i'm intrigued by the mules 
uh, resonators. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never tried one. You know, the the Mule Mavis uh, it it is was is kind of hovering around on there just because it's uh, a resonator that you can kind of use live a, a little bit more. Um, so yeah, you know, maybe a mule or a national. <laughs> there you go. You like the resonators. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gear, gears a little bit. I'm going to give you multiple choice questions. You got to choose. All right. All right. Metallica or Megadeth? Oh, Metallica all day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. So I, had, I said something about Megadeth to somebody and, and it ended up in like a bio or something, but it's, I, I definitely Metallica was, was, I was the bigger fan of for sure. I think both great bands, love them both. If you look at a career from beginning to end and all their their catalog, I think Megadeth has a stronger, like consistent catalog. Because the stuff Megadeth, even the last album they put out last year, super heavy thrash. Metallica has had the higher highs, obviously, with better records overall. But I think consistency and output of career, I'm giving to Megadeth. Really? Yeah, you know... I guess I feel a little bit more emotional depth in James's uh, songwriting. I think well, you saw him catch on fire. I mean, you got a you got a a bond. Yeah, uh, yeah. I well, I didn't see the show where he caught on fire. I saw the show where he was in a cast after that. But oh, uh, was that Toronto? Was Toronto where he got on fire? Then he came down and played I can't in the remember. cast. You guys, it was Montreal. Montreal. Okay, where was it? Montreal. Wow, you Montreal, guys! Canada. I love it. You know your your Metallica trivia here, <laughs> um, but no, I I saw him after that. But I also saw him. Uh, I saw them a few times, and and um, great you know, live band, great live band. Star. Yeah, I would actually like to see them again sometime soon. Just you know, because uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I just I connected with the emotions in that music and while i always loved the riffs and stuff and even some of the songs in megadeth that, that made me think um i i really felt like maybe there was you know a little bit more of an emotional depth to james's writing i it's easier to grab onto for sure you know um more more appeal to a, a bigger audience i'd say well what's your favorite metallica record the black album to be honest and i know that's like it's like, it's funny because, you know, I think a lot of people, either they really like more obscure stuff or or they just kind of, they don't like the thing that everybody knows. But the Black Album is just a freaking masterpiece. Like, I just, oh, yeah. like, I dug it back out probably in the last year. And first of all, that's the one that brought me in. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's one where I, I heard, you know, I was a little kid and heard Enter Sandman. And I, I mean, you know, and then, and that's the one that brought me in. Uh, and then I went backward from there. I really moved on to other stuff and I never really listened to a lot of their stuff after that. I, you know, I've, I just listened to their new one a little bit and thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Like it's got some cool riffs on it or whatever, but you know yeah. what I mean? You can't recapture that moment when you're a kid and you hear something mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, but that man, that black album, it's just so, uh, spacious, like the riffs, like some of the stuff where it's just like, uh, there's just these big spaces and like these big long chords and like and and just the the songs and everything. Yeah, yeah, man. I have to say, the Black Album is 
It's hard sure. to beat that. I'm a weirdo. I'm I'm a big Injustice for All guy. I just I I dig that one, even though they screwed Jason uh, Jason Newstead with turning down the base. I still yeah, yeah. it's just such a raw, rough record. Oh, I like that one too. Yeah, yeah. I I I think um, I think on a songwriting level, I'm just and and the production and just like I think Bob Rock on the on the the black album i'm just i'm i'm so impressed by exact you know just exactly how it's all fit together and and the melodies and everything like that but yeah and just sprawls great too and i mean wherever master, i may roam you have never puppets. figured master there we go yeah master, master puppets ride the lightning and i mean there's like four records you just can't be wrong in choosing exactly yeah and and you know to me honest that stuff opened me up to so many things like like the finger picking on a nylon string guitar well you know my mom had a nylon string guitar and it made me pick it up nothing else matters yeah yeah she had a guitar from like college you know and like I, it made me pick it up and want to play that guitar and then like i'm i'm you know doing this finger picking stuff and then you know i i had um you know a, a my one of my uncles that uh played classical guitar and so it made me more interested in what he was doing because I heard that classical influence in some of that stuff and I was like and then I heard him playing and I was like oh that's cool it's like Latin classical guitar stuff like how do you do that and you know so it's it really did like open up a lot of different doors for me that I then explored further and that's why I think some people who didn't really dive into those bands they just think, oh, it's just like, you know, it's just like chug a chug riffs and like a bunch of yes and stuff. Well, <laughs> try to like, do that rhythm too, right? They say James Hetfield has the best right hand in rock. Like, try to do those rhythms. Like, they're not easy. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think it's partially, it's funny how palm muting I often felt was like the line between what's okay and what's not okay and roots rock versus are you metal now? But I definitely, <laughs> you know, I definitely worked on the palm muting thing and the the percussive, you know, disposable hero, you know, like that kind of like really fast, um, uh, but but rhythmic uh, pedaling on the E string. I worked on that stuff before I ever could solo at all. Um you know, I, I was very much doing the percussive rhythm thing. And so that's still something that, you know, I don't use it a lot in my own music because again, it does sound pretty heavy. That's, that's where you really cross the line and you're like, wait a minute, is this metal? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it's certainly, um, you know, got my right hand, uh, you know, up to speed was like trying to mimic james all the time yeah that's not an easy thing to do and you know they always say like the metal uh musicians like that's a higher level technicality to do and play and probably don't get a lot of a lot of credit for and a lot of those people are classically trained as well musicians yeah and i'm not trained at all but i you know i <laughs> i definitely neither am i but you're hell of a lot better than i am oh <laughs> I just, you know, just figuring it out as I go. But like, I, yeah. I, I definitely learned a lot of techniques from those types of records. Um, and, you know, 
and and then also the blues records and stuff too you know but um you know i i don't have like i i do some stuff that might sound kind of jazzy at times um i certainly i know the modes you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. like and i i i that was a big thing that came together for me at a certain point was um you know figuring out how all the scales fit together all the modes on on both the keyboard and then on the guitar neck and that kind of helped me to really like that's that's the core of my music theory like i still if somebody says oh play me a diminished augmented 11th nine or whatever i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about like, <laughs> I, I know about three of them by name you know the chords but but if you say you know hey we're in c sharp um lydian then i'm like oh yeah that's fine you know like, a couple, like a couple extra notes are in that yeah no i mean yeah i mean I, you know the harmonic major harmonic minor dorian lydian um you know locrian whatever like I, that all that stuff that's all metal stuff those are metal scales man well they are dorian is in funk a lot and blues a lot uh locrian I, I mean you don't you don't really use that one much um you, you know phrygian that's very metal but you know but yeah i mean that's that's like the core of my music theory you know I can, I can, so here's what I can do. I can mix the major and minors together. So, it's some, you know, I can know where to play for both. If something's in the minor or major, I can tie this. I'm really good. No, man, that's important. I mean, like, you know, just being able to, to know how to, like, play that major pentatonic stuff, you know? I mean, it, it, and I always say, say like, there are people that, I like Chris Stapleton, for instance, on the lead guitar, right? He doesn't do a whole lot, but it nope. feels great. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it feels great. His emotion is there. His tone is there, you know? And again, I'm not, I, I hesitate to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm knocking down anybody's play. My, my uh, friend, Eric Lindell, like he's very straightforward and simple with his solos and stuff, but there's always like emotion to it. And it's, it's, it's good to listen to, you know what I mean? So I like, you don't have to, you don't have to be Ingve Malmsteen. No, and and honestly, like you have to think like what is the point of playing music anyway? Like it's not to show what you can do. So for most people, you know, the point of music is how it makes them feel and right. how it connects them with their own life, you know, and their own experiences and stuff. So when people come up to me, you know, at the merch table or something, and they're like, oh, you know, I, I play, but I don't I don't really, uh, you know, whatever. You, you got me thinking I might pick up the guitar again, but I don't I'll never be able to play. It's like it doesn't matter how many notes you can play, play what feels good to you. And it might feel good to somebody else to listen to. It doesn't matter if it's a bunch of notes or if it's three. It It really doesn't matter. Just just. Do what feels good and what sounds good. Trust your ear. Trust your your you know your feelings. That's what it's. That's really great. Like. I mean, that's great advice, right? And be and put your make your own identity. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I mean, I I think um, you're always going to get people saying, "Oh, you sound like this. You sound like that. Whatever." Um, I think just just doing what feels good to you. Yeah. And and just because I mean the the point of picking up a guitar is to connect yourself with something i think anyway something bigger than yourself something outside yourself you're tapping into some universal thing that is larger than yourself 
So whenever people say, oh, that's just voodoo child with a couple of changes, I'm like, well, what was voodoo child except him tapping into something that felt right to him? So he also, you know, so Hendrix also wasn't ripping off Albert King or anybody else. He was just tapping into what felt right. We're all connected. I mean, and I'm not trying to be sound esoteric, but we are not inventing anything. None of us have invented ourselves, nor are we inventing the scales that just exist in nature. We're all discovering things. And, you know, it's, I I think multiple people can easily arrive at the same place without intentionally copying each other. And um, so I also don't get hung up on like, you know, try not to sound like anybody else well there's an easy way to do that which is just to sound awful then you won't sound like (laughs) anybody else you know just play all the notes in the wrong you know in a way that doesn't make any sense you won't sound like anybody yeah (laughs) if you want to be original on guitar just play the wrong notes yeah just play the wrong stuff all the time and you won't sound like anybody you know and you can call it art rock yeah it's you know <laughs> All right, I know we're getting to a close here. I got a I got a couple of real quick questions for you. Yeah. You're wearing a Black Sabbath shirt. Respect on that. What is your favorite Black Sabbath lineup? Man, you know, I'm going to have to admit my ignorance of the deeper level of Black Sabbath trivia here, but um, you know, I mean, uh aside from, you know, I mean, I guess just those early records. I don't know, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, like I, I, the OG Black Sabbath. Like yeah. you're not the the Dio Black Sabbath guy. No, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm yeah, just the OG stuff. You know, like I mean, that's uh, that's all I ever really spent time with, like the Paranoid album and the you know self titled album and stuff like that. That's all have I you, ever have. Did. You listened to like Heaven and Hell. I don't know. Uh, there was one that came out in 2013. Is that that one? No, that was the one. With, Heaven and Hell was Dio on vocals, oh. and it's amazing. If you like heavy music, dude, Heaven and Hell is Be awesome. honest, I think I never listened to any non-Aussie Sabbath. Listen to Heaven and Hell. Listen to Heaven and Hell. But the one they did, like, I want to say 2013 or whatever, like, in, in recent-ish years. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, really impressed by it. Like, I mean, yeah, like... Yeah, Aussie, Aussie always sounds good. But but like the guitar too, and I was just like, man, Tony Iommi is just still like just killing it, like you know. Um, but yeah, like you know, I I I I guess I'm a Aussie purist with the Sabbath stuff. Nothing wrong with that, but I'm telling you, you got plenty of time on tour to listen to stuff. Check out the Heaven and Hell record; it's really all good. right. We'll do, we'll do. That's my recommendation. All right, since you're Leilani's opening a show for you on Friday, she was nice enough to do a lightning round to me and Brian one of the couple times she was on the podcast and gave us a couple questions. So I'm going to give you the questions and then your homework's going to go back and give Leilani your answers when you see her. <laughs> uh, when, when making a bowl of cereal, do you first put the cereal in the bowl and then pour the milk or do you put the milk in and then the cereal? Oh, well, in my cereal eating days as a kid, I would definitely put the cereal in and put the milk over it. The whole concept grosses me out these days. I'm not really a um, a cereal or milk. <laughs> uh, you know, I eat dairy products, but milk is just ah, no thanks. I just don't have any interest in milk whatsoever. But 
No, that's fair though, but that is the right order. And number two, when putting on your shoes, do you at first put on the sock and then the shoe on the same foot? Or do you, do you put your socks on each foot first and then your shoes on? The socks from both feet, for sure. Okay. And then shoes, yeah. Brian, I think we passed and Eric is not a psychopath. <laughs> and Leilani will be glad to hear that. <laughs> yep. So she told us that's how, like, you know, that's basically how you can determine if somebody's a psychopath, that they do the opposite of what you said in, in both answers. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure if that would be my only test of that, but, you know, it might be. It might. <laughs> that's Leilani's standard. So just when you see her, if you get a chance to talk to her, say, listen, I passed your psychopath test with the cereal and the shoes and socks, and she'll know what you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys will have a good time. She's 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 a good person. So her band, and I, I love the fact that she's getting a chance to play a show with a very established, well-known blues artist like yourself. Oh, I mean, I was thrilled to, uh, I, you know, I hope we do more shows together. And, and you know, I, um, I, you know, I think it's a great fit. I, I, I think, um, you know, I'd like to continue to to do some, you know, to, some more appearances with her. Well, Eric, we've kept you for your an hour and a half. We thought we were going to get out early. You were not. So before, oh, man, you, had, before you, yeah, well, you're welcome to come back anytime because uh, now we know you're not a psychopath. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Where do our listeners go to find out more about you, your tour, merch, albums, all that? EricJohansson.com. You know, uh, you can also find me, um, you know, on Instagram or Facebook, it's uh, my handle is Eric Johansson 504 on those. But, you know, the website, ericjohansson.com, join the email list. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a store that we're still running. You know, like I we just came back from the post office, like with like an entire carload of uh, um, pre-orders records that we're sending out so i sign them and send them so you know so very involved in all that if people want a shirt or a record um i would encourage them to buy it from my store <laughs> okay right on. But, yeah, i mean you know like follow online you know do do whatever you do i'm not very active on twitter and tiktok i'm trying to get better about it but um you know but there's we're a on... lot to keep up with the social media you know it is and and you know i i admittedly I'm not a big fan of looking at it that much. I don't have a lot of time to look at it, but sure. um, so I think it's, it's like with certain things I've, I've resisted getting on it just because I don't desire to consume too much of that stuff over the course of the day. However, we, you know, I, I, uh, I do like hearing from people and if people message me via the site or the, um, the Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, I, I try my best to get back to people. I'm, I'm still very, uh, I tr I try to be accessible in that way and, you know, answer people's questions and whatever. I like Instagram. It's a lot more positive and like it's pictures, music. It's a lot easier, like particularly if you're an artist or even we get more traction um, through the podcast through Instagram and Facebook than anything, but it just overall for like musical experiences, it's a lot better than some of the other like, TikTok, well, maybe not TikTok, but Twitter for sure. Yeah, I, I uh, 
I always, yeah, Instagram is preferable to me too. I think I, I don't like my phone like screaming at me. So I, you know, <laughs> first couple of times I open TikTok, I'm like, oh my God, it just starts yelling at you immediately. <laughs> just some obnoxious person just, just talking <laughs> about something or like, or, or lip syncing a song and like, what is this? But, um, but I think, you know, I, I understand though that it's like, it is cool how, you know, people can use these things for whatever they want. Like, you know, you can, you can put, you know, thoughtful ideas on these platforms. You can put beautiful little pieces of music on it. You don't have to be doing something obnoxious just because a lot of people are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. It was great having you on. Um, You're going to have to come back, right, Brian? For sure. Yeah, for sure. So thank you to Eric Johansson for coming on uh, Deep in the Dirty. As you're listening to this, it's come out. This will be on Friday. So thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot to us. Come back anytime you want. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. It's great chatting with you guys. I'd love to come back. Thank you to Eric Johansson for joining us and being a fir- uh, his first time on the podcast. Um, as I was almost said <laughs> before in the intro, I really liked how he goes into talks about how, you know, not categorizing music, you know, it's not, you know, you say blues rock and that's, that's like a castle wide net over everything. And it's just, you know, I don't think we need to go deeper than rock and roll and in music for that matter. So I, I really, you know, that's something I think about a lot. So I'm glad that he talked about that. Well, yeah, and rock and roll is steeped and born in the blues, right? So blues, rock, rock, blues, it's kind of all the same thing. I love the fact that he's a power trio uh, just because you, it, it's, a, you know, it's a stripped down, straightforward version. Love his stuff. I love talking the heavy metal, Metallica, Megadeth with him. He definitely comes from a, a similar background of musical taste, Brian, that kind of we, we grew up doing. Yeah, and I... For some reason, I didn't expect that. I was anticipating that, but when I saw I wasn't the, either. the Black Sabbath t-shirt, I'm like, okay. Here we go. Guy. Here We like him. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. good dude. We know Leilani Kilgore is opening up for him tonight in Nashville, so it is a big day. Not right only on. is he podcast cool. our guest, okay. he's got a record today, and Leilani's opening for him. Well, what else can you say? Not a lot. What else can you say besides uh, always remember Southern Rock is reverent, blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 